Welcome to Full Rigor, a Florida true crime podcast. I'm Karen Curtis. 100 years ago from this past election, something horrible happened in Ocoee, Florida. A black man tried to vote in the presidential election that year, November 2nd, 1920. And as I record this episode of Full Rigor, the 2020 presidential election is still undecided. Now, before I tell you about the Ocoee massacre, I want to bring your attention to two other Full Rigor podcasts that you might want to check out if you find this episode interesting. They are episode 34, Clan Christmas Killings. That's in 1951, Harry T. and Harriet Moore were murdered on Christmas Day, their silver wedding anniversary, when a bomb set by the clan underneath their bedroom of their wooden house blew up their home in Mims, Florida. Harriet Moore was a classroom teacher and both were civil rights activists. Also, the clan marched down Worth Avenue on Palm Beach in the 1990s. And yes, they were wearing clan robes, not designer sheets. You can't make this up. And then episode 54, the Rosewood Massacre, which was an attack on the predominantly African-American town of Rosewood, Florida in 1923 by a large group of white people after a white woman claimed she was assaulted by a big black man. Turned out that she was having an affair with another man and she didn't want her husband to find out. Or maybe the husband found out and beat her up. But anyway, for this episode... We have come a long way from when minorities and women could not vote, but in some ways, this election process is a little bit backward still as a result of the mail-in ballots and the inability to get a correct count. 100 years ago, one black citizen tried to exercise his right to vote at a polling location in Ocoee, Florida. That is near Orlando. But he was turned away on election day, so he was disenfranchised. This week, leaders in Orange County remembered the Ocoee Massacre. It was the killing of dozens of African Americans by a white mob when a man named Moses Norman tried to vote on November 2nd. So, November 2nd has been declared the descendants of the Ocoee Massacre honoring their ancestors' day in Orange County. And Governor Ron DeSantis issued a proclamation designating the day as 1920 Ocoee Election Day Massacre Remembrance Day in Florida. Homes and properties of black families were scorched, burned to the ground. At least four black individuals were confirmed dead, but now they're saying at least up to 30 were killed, one of which was lynched and his body was hung from a lamppost for all to see as a warning. So to this day, it's unknown how many were actually murdered due to the intentional attempt to bury evidence of the events and avoid documenting it altogether. Now, the Ocoee Massacre occurred during a time when blacks were prospering here in Florida. They owned their own land, they made a living, and when there was a drive to register more African Americans to vote in the U.S. and in Ocoee, which was located just between Lake Opopka and Orlando, two of the main individuals whose names are associated with the Ocoee Massacre are Moses Norman, as I told you, he tried to vote, and July Perry. Now, both were black landowners and labor brokers. Essentially, they served as go-betweens for black laborers and white employers. I want to back up a little bit and tell you about Lake Apopka. My daughter's godparents, Bob and Lynn Lust, actually had a farm on Lake Apopka, and they grew carrots on Lake Apopka. 
And the government bought their farmland because the runoff from their farm was causing algae blooms in Lake Apopka. So they stopped growing carrots, but they had a partner in the farm and his last name was Long. So the name of the farm was the Lust and Long Carrot Farm, which Playboy picked up on, the Lust and Long Carrot, and published a little story about it in Playboy magazine because men used to look at Playboy for the articles. Right. I just thought that was kind of funny. Anyway, back to the story. WFLA out of Tampa, it's a TV station there, tracked down and spoke with July Perry's great-grandson, Reverend Stephen Nunn. He recounts the time he was told about his great-grandfather, Julius July Perry, being hung from a lamppost during the Okoe Election Day Massacre for helping his friend who tried to vote. In my mind, I was definitely thinking this can't be true. Reverend Stephen Nunn's grandmother told him about the Okoe massacre over breakfast when he was a teenager. Then all of a sudden she said, you know what? She said, I'm going to tell you a story and I'm going to share it with you. But I'm sharing it with great reservation and hesitation because I vowed I'll never talk about it again. So most estimates total 30 to 35 black people were killed and most African-American-owned buildings and homes in the northern Okoe area were burned to the ground. Other African-Americans living in southern Okoe were later killed or driven out on the threat of more violence. Okoe essentially became an all-white town. The massacre has been described as the single bloodiest day in modern American political history. Never in the history of the U.S., has a massacre such as what took place in Okoe took place during voting time or over voting. So the attack started after there were efforts to suppress black citizens from voting and they had the right to vote. Black people essentially had been disenfranchised in Florida since the beginning of the 20th century and Mose Norman, a prosperous African-American farmer, tried to vote but was turned away on election day. Norman was among those working on the voter drive and the white mob surrounded the home of Julius July Perry where Norman was thought to have taken refuge. After Perry drove away the white mob with gunshots, killing two men and wounding one other who tried to break into his home, the mob called for reinforcements from Orlando in Orange County. The whites wiped out the African-American community and killed Perry. His daughter and wife escaped out of the back of the house and then they took his body to Orlando and hung it from a light post to intimidate other black people. Norman escaped, never to be found, and hundreds of other African-Americans fled the town, leaving behind their homes and their possessions. Stephen Nunn's great-grandparents lost all their land. And all of that land, the only way to put it today is it was robbed. They were robbed. Reverend Nunn says his great-grandfather didn't deserve to be treated that way. He was a just man. He was a community man, and he had to pay an awesome price over a principle that we still debate today and some are lackadaisical about it. Today, most of the people living in Okoe don't even know that this happened there. Here's Pamela Schwartz, the chief curator of the Orange County Regional History Center, who sponsors an exhibit on the topic. Over several years, uh, there is an ongoing series of land sales. The the land was not just sort of snapped up by the white community and the black people fled. The black community did try to fight and keep their land. And again, it's estimated that more than two dozen African-Americans were killed in the Okoe massacre. So that was in 1920, but in 1870, the 15th Amendment was adopted into the Constitution. 
and it states, The right of citizens of the United States to vote shall not be denied or abridged by the United States or by any state on account of race, color, or previous condition of servitude. However, that did not stop the South from creating their own rules to stop blacks from voting, and Florida adopted several loopholes as well. After slaves were freed, many were uneducated, which gave rise to the literacy test requirement to vote. Many were also poor, which was part of the motivation behind the poll tax. At the time, Florida was one of four states that relied on the poll tax to impede black voting. It was one of the first in the nation to adopt it. Now, it wouldn't be until the voting rights of 1965 when those barriers to stop blacks from voting were outlawed. In fact, Josiah Walls was Florida's first black member of Congress after winning election in 1870. He was a former slave and Union soldier from Alachua County. For the next 116 years, he was the only black member of Congress from Florida. We've had Elsie Hastings. He's been a member of Congress, just re-elected this past election since 1993. He was impeached as a federal judge, by the way. During the 1920 election year, there was a big drive for black voter registration in Florida since they historically voted Republican. There were 255 black individuals living in unincorporated Ocoee by 1920, with 560 white residents. Now, despite the Jim Crow laws, blacks were working, saving money, buying their own properties in the early 1900s. There was an obvious growth in economic competition within the African-American population. Now, Moses Norman, who tried to vote and who started the whole thing, had moved to the area from South Carolina, and most historical accounts agree it started when he tried to vote but was turned away for allegedly not paying his poll taxes. Later that night, after the polls closed, a group of armed white men arrived at Perry's home in search of Norman. Now, it's unclear how the encounter escalated, but there was a shooting and two white men who were law enforcement officers died, and Perry was badly injured. Now, Perry's wife and daughter, as I told you, escaped from the back of the house. Now, Perry was treated medically and was taken to the Orange County Jail in downtown Orlando. According to the state of Florida's coroner's request that took place between November 3rd and 4th, a white mob overpowered a single jailer who was left to guard Perry, and the mob took Perry, beat him, shot him, and hung him from a light post. He was hung there as an example for other black people living in Orlando. Perry's body was eventually moved to the Greenwood Cemetery, where he was buried. That night, the mob started setting black-owned homes on fire, as well as churches and a fraternal lodge. Some accounts say up to 60 black people were murdered, but the Orange County Regional History Center recently confirmed four deaths through public records. State death records were not kept after the deadly riot. Now, the Cary Hand Funeral Home was in charge of handling the bodies, and one memo that exists reads, three colored persons buried in caskets in one grave altogether. So we really don't know how many were killed. And even though photography was available in 1920, there's no photographic evidence that was taken the night of the massacre or its aftermath. And as for Norman... Who started the whole thing? He fled from Ocoee, lived in other parts of Florida before he moved to New York City to live out his final days. And get this, between November 18th and 29th of 1920, the Department of Justice launched an investigation into the whole massacre, but it was only to determine whether or not there was any election fraud. And on November 30th, a grand jury reported their findings, but to this day, the full report remains missing. 
Perry's wife and daughter did not face charges related to the deaths of the two white men who were law enforcement who were searching for Norman. They weren't released from the Tampa jail until 27 days after the election. After that, the family spent 12 years fighting land disputes and lawsuits over their Ocoee property. On March 7, 1932, seven relatives received $125.90 for the loss of their home, possessions, and 30 acres of land and their loved one, July Perry. Over this past summer, in 2020, Governor Ron DeSantis signed House Bill 1213 into law, creating a task force that would recommend the most accurate and appropriate ways to teach the Okoe massacre in classrooms. Never forget. I mean, the same thing with the Holocaust. I mean, I grew up in a suburb of Detroit, Michigan, and I was never taught about the Holocaust in any history class in high school. Speaking of which, we had a principal of a Boca Raton high school who emailed a parent saying that he could not confirm that the Holocaust was an historical event. His name is William Latson, and the school board then voted a couple months after he was fired to reinstate Latson and move him to a new position, not principal of the Spanish River High School. Well, the community lost its collective mind and a thousand people showed up to speak at the Palm Beach County School Board meeting where they were going to reinstate Latson. So the board buckled under the pressure and rescinded its decision to reinstate Latson despite this apology. When I wrote to a parent in 2018 that as an employee of Palm Beach Public Schools, I could not state that the Holocaust was a historical fact, I was wrong. I apologize to the Palm Beach County community. So this week, the school board voted unanimously to rescind its decision to reinstate Latson. Good move. I want to end this episode of Full Rigor with a weird story about a hip-hop artist whose body was found in the trunk of a car that got into an accident on the Palmetto Expressway in Miami. You just can't make these things up. Trooper stopped a Virginia man who had gotten into a crash on the Palmetto near Miami Lakes. The Palmetto Expressway is a weird highway in Miami. I've told you about the Golden Glades. Things kind of roll around in the Golden Glades and you get lost in there. It's all these ramps and crap. And one of the ramps leads to the Palmetto. The Palmetto runs east and west, and then there's a curve, and then it runs north and south through Miami-Dade County. Well, this crash happened northbound on the Palmetto in Miami Lakes. The car was a silver Acura, and it was being driven north, It got into an accident on a rain-soaked highway. Now, the Acura was towed to the parking lot of Hialeah's Westland Mall so troopers could investigate. And once there, troopers became suspicious because when the driver asked to remove his belongings from the trunk of the car, they noticed he removed a Glock gun case. This is according to the police. And then a foul odor wafted from the trunk and inside was the body of a hip-hop artist who went missing over a week earlier. Now, Miami-Dade police detectives arrested the man that they believe shot and killed Brian Trotter, who was 25, who disappeared from Triangle, Virginia on October 17th. Robert Dupree Avery Coltrane, who's 25, has been charged with second-degree murder and illegal transport of human remains. So Trotter was a former high school athlete who was trying to forge a hip-hop career. Get this, his hip-hop name was Kent Won't Stop. 
And apparently Coltrane and Trotter had been friends for more than a decade. The two played sports together, promoted their music. Then on Saturday, October 17th, Coltrane drove his silver Acura to pick up Trotter at his home in Triangle, which is about 30 miles outside of Washington, D.C., where his father lived. Apparently, the two guys were going to take pictures of each other in Washington, D.C., and Trotter's father thought it was going to be promotional photos for their music. The father and son embraced, told him, I love you, and he said, I love you back, and that is the last he saw his son. When the younger Trotter never returned home, the family filed a missing persons report and kept calling Coltrane. He then told them conflicting stories Trotter's father recalled, including that he dropped his friend off in Washington and another friend picked him up. For the following week, Coltrane apparently drove south. Friends posted pleas for help on social media and even created a Facebook page to help find Trotter. Then on Sunday afternoon, the Florida Highway Patrol was dispatched to the crash on the Palmetto Expressway. The troopers say Coltrane made a spontaneous statement that the body, which they discovered, was a male. And the initial autopsy revealed Trotter had been shot to death. At police headquarters, Coltrane refused to speak to Miami-Dade homicide detectives who took over the investigation. And Coltrane was allowed to call Trotter's sister. And as detectives listened in, he apologized and said that the death occurred in Virginia. Well, because the body was found in Miami-Dade County, the case is still being prosecuted here under Florida law. Inside Coltrane's car, investigators found a Glock 45 caliber pistol believed to have been used to kill Trotter. Detectives are still trying to determine the motive for his killing. So that wraps up Full Rigor. Thanks for joining me. Until next time. Peloton, let's go. This holiday, with the right music and the right motivation from world-class instructors. We're going to pick it up a notch. It's the holiday season. You might just surprise yourself with what you're capable of. Work out to thousands of live and on-demand classes, from running to cycling to yoga. Try Peloton risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only, not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. Peloton, motivation that moves you.